It's Cofield and Company, live from the Finley Toyota Studio on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, back here, 5 o'clock hour. Ari is running the show. Adam Candy is here. Ari, you know what? Send over uh, Mick Cronin full and our buddy Mark Few full. I want to I hear some of those press conferences. Yeah, send them over to uh, a Steve Cofield email. How about that? We got to do it on air sometimes, right? We ran out of time, Candy. 5 o'clock hour's here. And I'm sorry, I got very snippy snappy at the end of that hour. But we have to be out on time when we're, you know, Reno, we've got a hard out and uh, we, we don't have time to dilly dally. No, I miss, we don't. I misspeak a lot. Are you, uh, uh, do you, do you need me to, do you, should we play a bite or two while you eat your banana sandwich, Elvis? Uh, no, not a banana sandwich. This is the Trader Joe's uh, ginger cookie pretzel. Mm. Fantastic, by the way. Nice. Uh, and listen, you were a very, you were kind because I'm not going to say who in the segment meant to say T-Mobile Arena and said Thomas and Max Center. Did I do you that? Were, uh, no, you did not. Oh. And you were kind, yeah. and you did not point it out. So you you were a very benevolent ruler, Steve. I uh, I don't even yeah, I don't think I, it's possible that I would confuse one arena with Thomas and Mac because I barely call it T-Mobile. The Fortress. Yes, you want to make I Adam love, Hill mad. I love the Fortress. I love the fortress can be home of basketball as well. Yeah, just it, because it, it makes works. Adam mad, I like saying it. It works. Uh, do we want to make the Vegas audience mad by just playing more and more chatter from one Eric Musselman? Yeah. <laughs> now I see someone else gesturing in studios. There's a little bit of panic if it's going to be ready to go. Uh, Musselman, what do you think, Eric Musselman? I'll ask you because I have my opinions now. Must is who he is, and I love the fact that he's just on the surface about it, man. Like, he's a climber. Like, Must has put a career into coaching. He has put in the work. Must doesn't make any bones about who it's about. It is about Eric Musselman. Eric Musselman is about Eric Musselman. And you know what? Success has followed him just about everywhere he's gone. And so you know the deal you're getting. It's about him, but you're going to win. I love that. That's a good way to put it. It's about him. See, here's the thing. And maybe I was duped. You know, when I was very young, uh, six years ago, um, while he was on his way up, because his entrance into college basketball was not easy. He decided to make a career direction change, was on an LSU staff for a year or two. He was having a tough time getting a head coaching gig. You'll remember Nevada rolled the dice. I think he started at like 400 k which by today's standards, wow, what a get, right? Economical hire. And I'll just say this. Uh, To me, the true test of someone when they rise through the ranks and reach a really high level is if they stay the same person. I think he's changed a little bit. But you put it perfectly at the beginning of this, that, you know, Musk is about Musk. So, hey, once the usefulness of people at the Nevada level is over, and your SEC and your Arkansas, then you do different things. Look, the whole thing with taking his shirt off. You know another head coach that did anything like that? Anything like that in the second round. A single thing. Anything. There was nothing that looked like that. It was all about that coach. It wasn't about the players who just pulled the upset. It was about that coach jumping on the table. It was about his photogenic spouse who is on TV almost as much as he is during every broadcast. 
and it is about his charismatic daughter, who we've known about from the time she was very young, and was at Nevada. It's a great made-for-TV story, but none of those three things are about Arkansas basketball players. That is, I never processed that part, that, I was, that that was an incredibly selfish moment. I just thought it was a, a moment of pure joy, although I did point out he's done it like three times now. That's the thing. It's, it, no, it, this, it's not spontaneous anymore. Yeah. It's not spontaneous, but you know what? It gets eyeballs. It is what it is, and Arkansas is winning. And in an era in which we have to hear Rick Patino say that he, quote, deserves the opportunity to get back to St. John's, that he deserves it, wow. yeah, that's fine. I'll take what Musk is selling. We've got uh, Dan Wolken on later on in the hour from USA Today, and I don't know exactly what he was going to write about, but he did ask a question about the shirt coming off. And then Musselman said, well, you know, I don't think about it beforehand, and it's not premeditated, and oh, it's not happening. I, well, I, that's why stop. I really wanted Wolken on, because I want to see what his reaction is, and then we can tell him, as people who locally covered Musselman in the past, eh, <laughs> might not know as much about him as, as you think. But great coach, great coach. And unlike, well, he benefits from it, unlike a lot of coaches who continue to grouse about the unpredictability on both sides of the transfer portal, Musselman was asked about the portal today, and he laid it out. I mean, he benefited from the portal in a massive way with that school up north. Well, I promise I wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't for the transfer portal. Um, I mean, I kind of felt like um, at Nevada, we were at the forefront of the transfer portal. Really interesting, because eight years ago, uh, when somebody was transferring, the process was a lot different. You had to go through your compliance office, and there was a lot of paperwork involved. And I can promise you there was not much competition. The competition now for, for transfers is, is as fierce as any recruiting landscape that you could be a part of. But it was not that way for three years, especially because guys had to sit out. Um, I, I, I know that for a fact that I would never have been the coach at Arkansas if it wasn't for for transfers and guys like Cody and Caleb Martin and Kendall Stevens and guys that had transferred from Power 5 schools to to the Mountain West. Ah, not selfish. He shouted out players from his past, Candy. Up yours. Exactly. He absolutely wasn't saying, I was good at transfers before (laughs) transfers were cool. He was just saying, I am so thankful to the Martin Twins. I remember back in the day before the Martin Twins were actually playing and they – Nevada had started to turn it around, and a buddy of mine who works up there said, just wait, we got these kids sitting on the bench that yep. you're, you're not going to believe, right? And then all of a sudden, you know, Nevada's an Elite 18. I wonder if part of that should have been, while I was an unknown entity, I had a really trustworthy guy on my bench who was beloved by players who helped bring in not only the Martin Twins, but also Jordan Caroline, who's one of my favorite players of the last 15, 20 years. He came in from Southern Illinois. He mentioned Cameron Stevens from Purdue. The Martin Twins were from East Carolina. Um, Dave Rice also had something to do with getting guys. And uh, on on his point about competition, I think people were not as fired up, you know, because you didn't have immediate eligibility to go grab the Martin Twins. Martin Twins, like I said, were at East Carolina. They they did have a big uh, Big Ten program, hot and heavy for them. So, if you want to find out. If a person is someone that you want to be around, if you want to find out if they're a decent human being, ask them what they think of Dave Rice. 
And if they don't like Dave Rice, <laughs> tell them to F off. <laughs> That's wrong. Okay. All right. Yeah. Now, he may have forgotten. So, and I, you know, and, and, and uh, factually, I think, I think Dave Rice, CDR, had a you know, really good effect on that program. I, I don't know what happened, you know, in the end to get it across the finish line. But I, heard, I remember hearing people talk a lot about him in terms of, you know, he had, he had a good record here. Uh, maybe not wins losses happy enough for uh, or to, enough to make everyone happy it was 98 and 54 which looking back you're like oh my god um but yeah every time a, pl- a player transferred into UNLV they talked about just the family atmosphere and you know Dave Rice and they they love Rice I, I, look I'll, I'll tell a I'll tell a quick Dave Rice story about uh when he was in Reno and he was working with the broadcast team, of course, uh, like the rest of the program does, you're well aware, Steve, how the broadcast team interacts when you're on the road together. And, you know, you, you get to know people. And one of the members of the broadcast team had to be away for uh, an in-law's parent passing away. Every day that that broadcaster was away from the team, Dave Rice texted that guy every single day to check in, to see how he was doing, to say he was thinking of him. The day they won the championship and he was away, got another text from Dave Rice saying, hey, we're thinking of you. What I'm just saying, when you talk about the human beings that you want to be around, Dave Rice is the human being that you should want to be around. And whether you like Eric Musselman or not, and I'm going to gather a lot of you listening to this broadcast probably don't, uh, Dave Rice was able to vouch for him enough to work for him, and that says something to me. So on the subject of the transfer portal and how much it's changed even from when Musselman was building Nevada into a power, it's hard to keep up. Like, as of this morning, uh, the site I'll use is Verbal Commits. I think there were 750 players in the transfer portal. And I believe I'm correct on this. You and I have very few issues with the portal, right? We can, we can hash those out, but uh, I'm in favor of the portal. So when I say I can't keep up, I just mean it's hard to find the names that are going in. For these kids, you do what you want. You do what you want. Whatever makes you happy. And also, you know, we probably should talk more about kids who are pushed into the portal. Told, you know what, you may want to go, which uh, I will bring up every year as long as this thing still exists. But around the Mountain West Conference, Candy, um, it, it, it has a bad look right now, but I'll give you these details. So UNLV has lost three players so far. We'll double-check to see if anyone else went today. But Keyshawn Hall, Keyshawn Gilbert, and Vic Iwako. Colorado State lost one of their guys that I think they were planning on building around, and John Tanjay, who's a Nebraska-area guy, so maybe he lands there. Wyoming, there's so much going on there, I'm not even going to get into the behind-the-scenes stuff. But Graham Ike, the preseason Mount West Conference Player of the Year, went into the portal. He's going to be a very attractive guy as a 6'9 post player. Um, they also lost four other players. They lost uh, three of them. It's actually five other players. They lost three of them with like two weeks left in the season. Um, in addition to Ethan Anderson and uh, two other guys from the Pac-12, they lost uh, Jeremiah Odin, who's a good player, Xavier Dussel, who can help anyone as a three-point marksman. Air Force had a really big loss, and it's something I talked about during the game when uh, – John Curtis and I were, you know, discussing the future of Air Force. And I mentioned Jake Heidbreder is going to be a really good player, but this is year two at Air Force and it's decision time. And Heidbreder has elected to move on and transfer elsewhere because after two years, Candy, you know what happens. You are committed. <laughs> you are you are in the Air Force. So your your commitment is going to lengthen. So if you want to go play college basketball at a higher level, 
um, then you have to go do that. So that's a big blow to Joe Scott. Uh, beyond that, it hasn't been too devastating uh, anywhere else. But in the end, my guess is that you'll probably have, I don't know, 20 to 25 players from the Mountain West Conference who will go into the portal. And I thought Jeff Grammer from the Albuquerque Journal said something pretty interesting in saying uh, Mountain West was a transfer conference long before the transfer portal existed. Plenty of the league's best have been transfers this offseason won't be different. Players move on, players move in. That's the way of college hoops now. But it was the way of the Mountain West from day one. Are you totally on board with that? Yeah. You are? I'm I'm absolutely on board with that, and I think you don't have to look any farther in the UNLV sideline to know that. Uh, The last truly successful big-time UNLV team was based on a transfer, and that transfer is now the head coach of the UNLV running Rebels. And so I can look back, and there are absolutely transfers over the course of time where you look and say, guys who were not getting what they wanted at the Power 5 level who would come and go to UNLV or another Mountain West school, yeah, I absolutely believe that it was that way long ago. But more importantly, that that's the way it is now, yeah, it's going to be the way it is now, and it's going to be the way it is everywhere. And the sooner that we accept that, the sooner we can all get back to enjoying whatever the game is. Because I've heard a lot of people talk about how much of college basketball was difficult to watch this year. The quality of play was so low. The continuity among teams was so low. Yeah, if you're comparing it to what it used to be. And we're all going to do that, right? We all grew up watching certain... I grew up watching the Big East with St. John's and Georgetown and Syracuse and the wars of that time. Those were great teams. And I could watch Alonzo Mourning or Patrick Ewing for years on end. I could watch Chris Mullen all the way through his career. Just get used to the fact that that ain't it anymore. That's not it. Enjoy it for what it is. And those teams are going to change every single year. And the Mountain West is going to be like that, man. The Mountain West is going to be just like every other big conference dealing with the transfers. We got two tickets to a Red Hot Chili Peppers April 1st, Saturday at the Owl. Ticketmaster.com is where you can grab your tickets. But Ari's got a pair right now. Caller 7 364 Allegiant, Saturday, April 1st, Red Hot Chili Peppers. On the way back, one more thing on what UNLV has lost so far. And some general commentary, I guess, from running Rebel legend Wink Adams, who was really strong and, and you know didn't mention any players directly, but uh, kind of gave that shake the fist at the sun take. Miss any of the show? We've got you covered. Head to LVSportsNetwork.com and go to podcasts to listen to all of your favorite LV Sports Network shows anytime from any place. Live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield and Adam Candy, only on ESPN Las Vegas. Kids have to understand that you can transfer and be part of something different, but you are the same player. Nobody wants to earn playing time. Nobody wants to trust the process and get better. As a player and team, play for your coach, team, and school. Be loyal to the brand. We were talking transfer portal. Candy is here. That's Wink Adams, UNLV player of the past. Not that long ago. So I would say one thing. Don't say nobody. And 
I don't love that take. I don't love that take. I have no idea if it's related to the the three players who have left UNLV. Candy, but what do you think about what Wink is saying? Don't hate the player, hate the game. Like if you look back at the era that Wink played in, they didn't have these opportunities. And I guarantee there are a lot of guys that Wink thinks of as great teammates that he played with over the years or great competitors that he went against who would have done exactly what these players are doing today because it's an opportunity that's in front of them that wasn't there before. I mean, loyalty is a two-way street, and players do not always receive loyalty from their institutions, from their coaches, and especially not from the NCAA. So I'm not going to begrudge any player who has a better offer to go out there. It's market dynamics. If someone offers you something better, whether it's one college basketball program to another or one job to another in your life, why wouldn't you take it? Of course you would. Of course you are. You're not staying. If one radio station offers you double the salary, you're not going to say, I'm loyal to the brand. I'm staying because I love it here. No, you're going to probably go to the place that offers you twice the money because that's the way the market works. And I'm going to remind people again that there are more than a few encounters with players and coaches meeting after a season where the player asks, hey, coach, what do you think? What's my future here? I'm thinking about going into the transfer portal. Eh. Oh, is that right? I'm not saying that's exact, the response you're getting, but there are a lot of times where coaches look at their roster and they're like, this ain't working, brother. It ain't working. So you can move move on if you want. It's not all the players. It's not. So try to, you know, it's hard for fans to kind of delve into what's happening with the portal and if the player was told to leave or is leaving on his own. There's a lot of stories around college basketball that don't don't get out there. Um, Larry Johnson was able to play in an era where there were transfers, believe me, but you'd have to sit out a year. So you know, players weren't readily, you know, you know, weren't willing to go and sit out the year. And LJ was part of a magical team that got to stick together and you know build in his two years, build a lot of chemistry. He did a whole car wash around the country yesterday. He was actually part of a, a function on the west side of town. And one of the shows he went on was Jim Rome, and I just wanted to hear LJ uh, one here talking about the city changing over time and a little bit of where UNLV is now uh, in the packing order. It was always shows, but the shows were secondary to the UNLV. The hardest ticket to get was the UNLV basketball game back then. Check it out. In the 90s, you know, when we was kicking UC Santa Barbara's butt and all that. The hardest ticket to get wasn't a Wayne Newton ticket or those tickets. It was a UNLV basketball uh, ticket. There you go. And if folks don't know, Jim Rome is a UCSB guy. Uh, LJ moved on to the topic of, you know, what it's like now and that the, the city's changed and the look with all these professional teams around just has altered what Las Vegas is. Congratulations, won the NW, uh, I mean, uh, 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 the women's NBA this year. They won that. And then you got uh, Raiders come in town. I've always been a big Raiders fan. So it's different now, along with the Knights. So now you got to share the spotlight, UNLV. You got to go back to winning. There you go. Yes. Yes. The only way this is going to get fixed, Candy, is for UNLV men's basketball to win at the highest level. 
And it might take a while even with that. Oh, my God. I already loved Larry Johnson for being a part of my youth <laughs> in that UNLV championship team and a part of my just after youth with the last really decent Knicks teams back in the late 90s. But I couldn't love that even more because you know what Larry Johnson just became? He became the rare person from the era of UNLV championship basketball who understands how good things were and understands just how hot the program was and is not attached to that old era. He's the one out here saying, you want people to come back? You need to win. After that, they actually got into this. does not happen often on national radio, but they got into some quality talk about the Big West. It hurts me to say this, but it's true. When you guys came into the Thunderdome, it's like the freaking Lakers, man. You guys on your layup lines. It's just the, the buzz, man, the energy. And Thomas and Mac being sold out every single night. A little shout-out for the Big West because we get no respect. Back then, I know you don't want to give anybody else credit, but, man, it was not a bad conference, right? Long Beach State, New Mexico State, us. You guys were top dogs, obviously. But we had three or four teams getting into the tournament back then. That conference was pretty nice, wasn't it? That conference was real nice. I mean, I, in my two years at, at, in the Big West, I put our conference up against, uh, you know, all these conferences. But, uh, you know, the Big East ruled for a while. But, I mean, uh, you guys, uh, Long Beach State, uh, New York, New Mexico State, us, we would beat any of them teams over there. Join Cofield and Company live every Thursday at the William Hill Race and Sportsbook. Weekly giveaways and awesome game day food and drink specials. Thursdays, 3 to 6 p.m. at the William Hill Race and Sportsbook inside Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. It's Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. So, still kind of surreal to be out there today at T-Mobile as a longtime Las Vegas resident of, uh, you know, pushing like 26, 27 years and see the NCAA logo everywhere. A regional is here in Las Vegas. You know, many of us remember the days of the 90s, early 2000s, and even into like 2014, 15 when the NFL canceled a Tony Romo event. Uh, most of sports organizations have been anti-Vegas. No more so than the NCAA. And Dan Walken was out at the media sessions today. He's a writer for USA Today, so we wanted to grab him. And uh, he just posted a story, or at least USA Today just tweeted it out in the last couple minutes. Um, and it's a good it's a good story about the NCAA finally embracing Sin City. Dan is up with us. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. How are you guys? We're good. We're thrilled that the NCAA is here. I'm not always going to be, a, you know, I'm not going to forget what they did to us for years and years and years and what they did to Tark, but... You wrote a story talking about the softening of the stance, and I love that uh, in this story you chose to focus on Jim Livengood, who is kind of an underpublicized hero around Las Vegas uh, and around the country. I think a, a light needs to be uh, shined on Jim. Really good story here. Oh Yeah, for sure. You know, I've, I've known Jim for a long time, and uh, I remember back, you know, gosh, I don't know, maybe, you know, seven, eight years ago, he had been talking about, you know, there's got to be more stuff in Vegas. They need to bring the NCAA tournament here. They need to bring NCAA championships. I remember Mark Emmert being asked at, at press conferences at the Final Four that he does every year about, hey, when you know when is Vegas going to get this or that? And, yeah, it just never really made a lot of sense to me for the NCAA to have this rule that you can't, 
do championships in places where they have sports gambling. And obviously, once the Supreme Court right. Right. overturned uh, the the law that essentially allowed Nevada to have exclusive uh, sports gambling, that it really wasn't going to be tenable anymore. And then I just think over time, uh, more and more people embraced Las Vegas and started to bring stuff here and it just made sense. I mean, it's it's really the perfect place to, to host a big event like this. And when we look even before the Supreme Court decision in 2018, we saw that conference tournaments had started to pop up in Las Vegas. And, you know, obviously those went off without any of the, I guess, incidents that the stigma is based on uh, happening, anything around gambling. Uh, do you think that those and their success had any influence on the NCAA being willing to move some of its own championships here? Well, I think what Jim Livengood mentioned to me makes a lot of sense, which is just that a lot of administrators around college sports maybe hadn't been out here very much, or they hadn't uh, had reason to come to Vegas uh, unless they were maybe in the Mountain West Conference and had, had been to UNLV. So, I don't know. I, I I think there's just kind of been over time, like whether it's USA basketball. I mean, I, I came out here for years in the summer when uh, I was covering college basketball exclusively, and I'd go to the AAU tournaments and I'd uh, drive all over the city in, in these high school gyms. And, uh, you know, you, you're bringing out these teams of, you know, 15, 16, 17-year-olds out to play in these tournaments. And, they, you know, all the players – today you know they've all been to vegas to play basketball a whole bunch before before they were ever in college so it just you know, what, what's really the big deal like what are you what are you afraid of and and obviously anyone who's educated on sports gambling understands that that the regulations and and the scrutiny that the casinos themselves have on this is is really unmatched because um it's it's to their benefit that everything is above board. Yeah, I mean, we talk all the time uh, on this program and beyond about the fact that most of the major point-shaving scandals that have been caught over the years have been caught by Nevada sports books and those right. around them. For you, in terms of post-2018, post-Supreme Court decision, we've seen things kind of tilt toward the permissive side, right, where Colorado and LSU and some schools have sign partnerships with some of these sports books. Do you think that there's a point at which the balance starts to tip a little far in that direction where maybe the NCAA steps back in, says, okay, maybe this is a step beyond what we're comfortable with? Well, I think the thing that concerns people in college sports is is not so much about point shaving or game fixing. I think it's more toward the mental health side of, what the athletes experience when they go on social media and it's a bunch of people commenting toward them or sending them messages on Instagram or whatever who've lost bets or, you know, somebody scored 12 points instead of 15, so they lost their parlay, and then they're getting on social media saying all kinds of crazy stuff to the players. I think that's where the concern is when it comes to sports gambling. I don't think any more at least people who understand this stuff, it's not about, it's not about point shaving. It's, it's about the overall sort of ubiquity of gambling and what that does to, to people 
and the way they approach players now. Uh, and that is a legitimate concern. And I do think if you're a Colorado or somebody who's, who's making money off an affiliation with a sports book, I do think that's something you need to carefully look at and say, you know, is this really the right thing to do? Cofield and Company, ESPN Las Vegas, Dan Wolken, USA Today is with us, uh, getting ready for the Sweet 16, uh, West Region right here in Las Vegas. I uh, heard you ask the question of Eric Musselman about the shirt. Not sure where you're going to go with that one. I thought his, inter- uh, his answer was pretty interesting. What do you think of Musselman? Um, well, obviously he's an incredibly talented basketball coach who has sort of figured out in college how to build a roster. Uh, he, at, at Nevada, was very much – all about taking transfers and building a team around transfers before it was even kind of the thing to do with the portal. And they had great success there, you know, got to the tournament a couple times, got to the Sweet 16. Um, at Arkansas, you know, three straight Sweet 16s, very hard to do. And he's got great talent coming in every year, um, both freshmen and portal guys. So, yeah, it's just, I think, extremely successful you know there's a lot of people in the industry or a lot of his colleagues who maybe look at some of the the stuff (laughs) about the celebrations and you know think he's he's a little bit clownish or whatever but it's it's really hard to argue with the results among the other three coaches who do you find the most fascinating because there's good stories with all three of them well no i mean this is a great little little pocket of the bracket here i mean you've obviously you've got you know, Gonzaga and Mark Few are now sort of institutions at this point in college basketball. I don't know if you can call them a blue blood in, in, unless they win a national championship, but you know, you know that they're going to be there uh, every single year. Um, you know, what, what Mick's done at UCLA to, to get them back to this level is, is, is tremendous. And um, I, I think they're, you know, it's, it's great that they've got key parts of their team uh, who who have stuck around and who have been through this and and it just feels very comfortable to sort of watch them uh, year after year do what they do and then yeah like Arkansas versus UConn's a great matchup um, you know Danny Hurley uh, has has gone in there and done exactly what a lot of people thought he was going to do which is you know resuscitate that program get get big time talent from the Northeast to to start coming back to UConn. Uh, and, and start going deep in the tournament. And this is the first time he's made the second weekend there, and, and they're poised for good things. I, I think any of the four teams really could could come out of this deal. I think they're all really, really good, great talent, great players, great coaches. Like I just think it's a spectacular section of the bracket. Well, we've got you know ties with the, the three guys we just mentioned. One, Musselman routinely smashed UNLV and really loved doing it because it's a big rivalry with, as we call them, Reno and UNLV. Uh, the fact that uh, Strother was pulled out of Vegas, you know, that'll irk some people, although I think most people here are rooting for Julian Strother. Um, you know, that's kind of the tie-in to Mark Few. And then Cronin toyed with taking the job at UNLV for about a week and then eventually got, right. what, what, got what he needed at Cincinnati, which was more funding and a, a bit of a race. Uh, that all said – we never got the full Chris Beard experience. We got like 19 yeah. days of it, and then he walked. And I got to tell you, I feel like, and I don't, I don't know why this is now, but I felt like a bit of a lone wolf when Beard, after the Texas stuff and the allegations, 
is being thirsted after by multiple schools, and they grab him at Ole Miss. And I saw your take on it, and I really enjoyed it. You can explain it to the audience here. Um, is I, I guess are we are we the the ones who are wrong where we feel like hey, there's got to be a little remorse. There's got to be some time in between the next stop, or is it just screw it? You know what? Whatever message it sends to especially women in Oxford and around the country about you know just how dudes feel who do hirings. Like I I, I don't know. I'm just. I'm uncomfortable with guys under those allegations right away getting another plum job. I think one of the things that's happened over the last maybe 20 years in college sports is that all of these major programs now kind of have their own media ecosystem bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I and I say that as somebody who you know works for a national publication and and you know, we have a, a great audience, but. A lot of the media in in college sports is hyper localized, and so um, you know you're Ole Miss. You have Chris Beard now. You're not going to get a lot of pushback locally. You're going to get a lot of you know the psychophants who run your fan sites and things like that, who do the spin for you and who will get the fan base uh, to to buy in. You know that. You're, you know, state you, you can do nothing wrong. And the people like me, we're the bad guys for pointing out the obvious uh, because we don't have skin in the game in, in, you know, in Oxford, Mississippi. I just think that's, that's what comes of uh, kind of the rise of, of the fan media sites that cater towards those folks. Uh, and, you know, and, and then the people like us uh, have to come in and, you know, tell them the truth. Well, we'll come full circle on this because I've thought of this a lot recently when, you know, you see, hey, Rick Pitino, St. John's is like, all right, let's do it. I I often wonder, has UNLV in the time between Tark and now, they're not high and mighty, but they've been a little bit afraid of embracing these controversial characters over the years, and they've gone on to other places and won really big. Like, should UNLV have basically just embraced, hey, you know what? We are what we are. It's not like you know we're morally bankrupt, but we want to win games. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, like, some of it's just a little bit of luck. I mean, Lon Kruger was at UNLV for a long time and had a you know good amount of success there, uh, and then it's just sort of been like, I don't know, a lot, of, a lot of weird, yep. a lot of weird, yeah, just and you know, and then like Chris Beard would have won at UNLV. Like, there's no doubt in my mind. Uh, but then, you know, the Texas Tech thing just comes along and yep. at, at a weird point. And, you know, and then I'm sure I'm sure T.J. Otzelberger would have done pretty well. Uh, but uh, just so happens that probably the one job that was going to get him out of UNLV after a short amount of time happens to open. You know, so some of it's just luck. Like, yeah. like again, like, like I don't think T.J. Otzelberger is a choir boy in this thing. You know what I mean? Like, Chris Beard's not a – Chris Beard had a pass, you know, even before UNLV hired him. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I get what you're saying. I just think, like, it's just been a collection of, like, bad luck and weird hires. And, I, you know, I don't know. We'll see, we'll see how Kevin Kruger does. I, I don't know. Dan, we appreciate the uh, spot on short notice, and we'll see you out at the games tomorrow. Thank you. All right, guys. Talk to you later. Thanks. That guy is a great writer. He's a really good follow on Twitter, and he is warring with people, especially in those, you know, local enclaves he just spoke about. Because he'll come in on Twitter and be like, yeah, you guys aren't seeing what's going on here. This is a terrible look with Chris Beard. And, 
you know, if you're a parent of a female student, that, that's one of the leaders now at the university, less than six months removed from, you know, pretty horrific allegations. And no, he's not declared innocent. That's not what happened. That's not, that's not what happened at all. Read the arrest report yeah. if you haven't. Yes. Just read it. It's See not, what you think about Chris Beard after you read that report. It's not innocent. And again, not to continue to pound the point because UNLV people know the frustration of and pain, you know, trying to hire coaches. They've run into a, a lot of bad luck. And I'll say it again, the school did hire two top 15 coaches nationally in Beard and in Otzelberger, and they caught bad breaks in both of them. And maybe, you know, neither guy was of the highest character, right? Bad luck there. You have If you change your ADs all the time, Candy, they're going to be more comfortable with the folks they're comfortable with, right? We just talked about Marvin Menzies about two hours ago. I don't bring it up very often because a lot of people hear, you know, different stories about Marvin and, you know, and they'd still gripe about it. But if there was a chance to have some continuity, that was that time period. It's just, it's just been, it's been annoying. And again, I, it hit me the other day. I'm like, you know, multiple times they had a chance to hire Rick Pitino and we all puffed out our chest and we, you can't do that with Rick Pitino being this and that. And it's like, when you look back on it, was standing on that moral high ground the right thing to do? But I think you you were standing on the moral high ground with a bit of fear. I, I think what happened to UNLV and watching the way Jerry Tarkanian was pushed out and the long memories of people when it comes to that particular time in the program, I just wonder how long the fear of the NCAA mm-hmm. lives in your gut when you're maybe close, right? You're thinking, well, we want to win again, and maybe we can get past this, and then you're wondering to yourself – the first time that someone dots a T and crosses an I instead of the opposite, are we going to be the ones under the spotlight? Right. Are there people out there thinking right now, you know what? Yes, UNLV was sacrificed at the altar of the NCAA, but look what it's produced. You got a West Regional. You're going to have a Final Four. You're going to have national title games here for college football. You're having a lot of big weekends with the NCAA because you know the city and that organization have finally come together. And, oh, well, if it took UNLV – you know, being basically ravaged, that was the price. Cofield and Company is live at the Battleborn Broadcast Center. Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers at 702-766-1400. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag, only on ESPN Las Vegas. Candy, what's going on with Jeff Linder? Because there's been some rumors swirling around. He had three kids who came in from the Pac-12 and then they quit two weeks before the end of the season. We've heard some rumors that maybe there was uh, some aggressiveness with players, and I think a lot of it might have been in practice. I'm not saying that I know this story fully, uh, but he put out a statement, and then I see Hunter Maldonado earlier today, who is now a former player, He said, enough with the entitlement. Coach's job isn't to make every single one of you happy and give you answers. Who's to say half of you even deserve the answers? Wait a second. Is this really Hunter Maldonado? What's going on here? Candy, there's a lot of weirdness. It's like seven players who have left the Wyoming program. I mean, the portal is one thing. Something's going on. Well, Jeff Linder put out one of the stranger statements that I've ever seen from a college basketball coach right before 
Graham Ike's decision to enter the portal became public. And it started with mm. tough times don't last, but tough people do. What? Uh, are you under fire? Was I unaware of this? Okay, the, the statement continues. I took over this program the week COVID shut down the country in 2020, on and on and on. And two years later, we were dancing our way to the NCAA tournament. New challenges have presented themselves in the last 12 months. The landscape isn't changing anytime soon. I hope the state of Wyoming and the passionate fans who wear the brown and gold will embrace the young men who will stay and, quote, ride for the brand. Oh it goes on from there. And, and so just, so basically, weird. just weird, subtle dig at the guys leaving that they're pansies. The whole- By the way, guess who was big a big part of you resurrecting the program like that? Graham Ike. Now he didn't he didn't mention Ike by name, but like you just said, you put two and two together. Is that who he's going after? In addition to Ethan Anderson and the other kids from the Pac-12, and now Xavier Ducell, and uh, now I'm blanking on the other guy who left. Oh, uh, Jeremiah Odin. Wow. Look, if it's not about Ike, I don't know who it's about because Wyoming was a massive disappointment this year. In, for two reasons, because Ike got hurt and Maldonado un, until Nevada showed up like two games before the end of the year, played like crap for most of the year. And for whatever reason that is, Jeff Linder finds himself in a pretty tenuous position right now. But a, it, the statement and the timing and the tone, it all just looks super defensive. And I, I don't know that that's really the, the tone that he needs to strike right now. Maldonado, on his message earlier, coaches never hit anyone. Wait, what? He is a guy with a winning track record, and for some reason we are so quick to forget that. He's an easy guy to play for if you just work hard. He's done his fair share of holding me accountable and doing it in a way that gets the best out of me. Anyone would be lucky to learn from a coach of his stature and experience. Look, I don't know what Hunter Maldonado means by hits. I don't know why Hunter Maldonado felt the need to what you referenced (laughs) earlier to say coach never hit anyone. But I'll tell you, as someone even with a high school basketball career, the practices where I came out and I saw they had that big pad that looked like what baseball umpires used to wear behind home plate where you could stick two arms into the pad – I knew what was coming in that practice. We were going to be going in for layups, and if we didn't finish the and one when we got clocked by that pad, we were going to do it again until we finished the and one when we got wrecked by that thing. Who knows? Some coaches might still swing that pad pretty hard. Maybe some people think it's hitting. Maybe some people think it's too much. I don't know. I'm not telling you that that has anything to do with Jeff Linder. I'm just telling you that the point where we have to talk about physical contact with players there are lots of ways that this could go, but in 2023, it's going to tip toward the player. I shouldn't do this because all the facts are not out, and this can turn pretty quickly in the wrong direction for Linder. If this is all we get, my prediction is that the majority of the Wyoming sports community, directly related to the school and otherwise, will embrace Linder. Now, if there are really bad allegations that come out, then – no, that's not going to be the case. But I, I think that the the message here, although it it doesn't shock me from Linder because uh, in terms of egos, and there's some pretty egotistical coaches around the Mountain West, I was kind of blown away when I heard him talk last year. I was like, wow, this guy, like, you know, there's not a whole lot of equity in winning here. Yeah, good, nice turnaround, good job. But dial it down a little bit with the, the, the head inflation. Um, but if the message is, hey, kids need to be loyal and tough, I think that does sell in Wyoming. 
It does, and, and I'm not going to put that on you having said that. I will tell everybody, if you haven't listened to the podcast, The Coldest Case in Laramie, go find that podcast. You'll find out a lot about the town of Laramie, Wyoming from uh, that New York Times episode. I'm intrigued. Wow, okay. What is it called? The Coldest Case in Laramie is a multi-part investigation of a cold case murder that was never solved. Boy. I was all slated tonight to watch uh, the latest with Coop and Spencer James from All-American and catching up on that whole thing. I guess maybe I need to take a more serious No, I just gave you homework. I might do it. I might do it. Hmm. Maybe. Like I said earlier in the show, every time I uh, get a chance to see some documentary about small-town justice from 50, 30, 20 years ago, I'm on it because it's – those are crazy stories. All right, Candy, great job today. Like I told you before the show, great prep sheet, too. That always helps the show. Ari, excellent job. Thanks to all our guests. Check out the archives of the show, lvsportsnetwork.com.